Now, before we get into today's message, I would like to begin with this question. Have you ever had a bad church experience? Have you ever had a bad church experience? I'm sure most of us have had a bad church experience of, of, of one form or another. And the reason being is because church is full of people. People. And, and people are people. And we, and we do what we do. And, and, um, and this is why we're in church. We're in church. And so we can get closer to our Savior. So God, let God transform us. But, but have you ever had a bad ex- a church experience? Or, or maybe the reason why you stopped Coming to church is because of a church bad experience. And maybe you hear this morning you've been invited by someone and, and you're like, you know, it's, it's, it's Christmas and I'll come along because, you know, just to be with the family or, or something like that. But something happened and for whatever reason, you kind of fell out of, out of church. And, and so this morning, I, I, would, I would like to urge you on this Christmas morning to, to consider, to consider to reconnect to God, to reconnect to our Savior. Because the reason why you should reconnect with God, especially on Christmas morning, it's because of what's deep down inside of you. And if you look deep down inside of you, what you'll see is this little light. This little light that's still burning. Whatever it is, whatever you've been through, there's still a light in you. There's still a spark. And every once in a while, it taps on your conscience. And, and you begin to have this conversation with yourself. Like, I really need to start going to church again. You know, I remember having, having that conversation with myself many times over 20 years ago. I'm going to tap on my conscience. I need to start going to church. And then for whatever happens, you get busy and, 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 and then it taps on your conscience again. And, and then you go, yeah, yeah, I need to reconnect with God. And, and then you remember why you left church in the first place. And then, and then you just keep, keep moving on. But deep down inside of you, there's still this light, this little light. And why is there a light inside of you? The reason why there's a light inside of you is because of what we celebrate on Christmas. On Christmas. It's the Christmas story. And so when we think of the Christmas story, we think of the nativity scene. And here's a beautiful picture of the nativity scene as it goes up in our series. We're doing the series called The Promised King. The Promised King. And, uh, and this is the nativity scene. This is a traditional scene. And so, so when you look at this, this picture, who do, you, who do you identify with the most in the Christmas story? Maybe not necessarily in this picture. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's really interesting. In this picture, you've got, like, you see the, the three kings, the three wise men. Did you know in Scripture, it doesn't actually tell us that these, there were three kings. We have no idea who the, these wise men were that came, and we don't know how many numbers or whichever. In fact, according to Scripture, they weren't there at the birth. So there are no, actually, at the birth of Jesus, there's no wise, wise men. They weren't at the birth of Jesus. But they do appear at, at one part in the nativity story part of the scene of Jesus' story. But, so who do you identify with? Do you identify with the shepherds? Do you, do you identify with Joseph? With Mary? Do you identify with Jesus? You know, or maybe if there was, you know, oh, I think I identify with the donkey. You know, if there was a donkey in there, you know. But um, if, if, to be honest, who I identify with, um, and if you're honest, uh, maybe you identify with is what we may consider who the villain of the nativity story is. And that's King Herod. King Herod, and you'll be going, what? What do you mean you identify with King Herod? Well, I'm gonna get, let, I'll, I'll get into why I think we all kind of identify with King Herod at one point in our life. And there are things that we need to ask ourselves and challenge us about, about hmm, maybe there are some things in my life I need to look at. Well, who's King Herod? He's known as King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great. He was born around 70 BC. So he was the king uh, when Jesus was born. He was the king, the king of Judea. And he was like a, he was a vassal king. He was a, he, uh, meaning that, that the reason why he was king of Judea is because Rome put him there. Rome put it because it, it was ruled by the Roman Empire and they put him there. And, and, and 
Herod the Great. He was known as the, the, the building king, the builder, the builder king, because he built all these amazing, um, amazing um, uh, aqueducts and he built all these port cities and he re- rebuilt the temple of God in Jerusalem. He re- rebuilt the temple. If you're, if you're familiar with scripture, we see that the, the temple was destroyed by the, during the, when the Babylonians came and they, and they exiled the children of Israel into Babylon. Was, they totally destroyed the temple. So, so here with King Herod, he rebuilds the temple. It's what we call the second temple period, right? When the temple's rebuilt. He rebuilds it. And, and, um, and so he was extremely talented, talented, but he was also very ambitious. And it's because of his ambition, it got the best of him. It got the best of him. The thing that got him in trouble a lot was his committed to his, he was committed to his own control. His own control. And this is why I say sometimes it's a little bit of Herod. And all of us, because it's all about control. I, I, I control my life. I control my destiny. No one's going to tell me anything. Certainly not God. I control every part of my aspect of my life. For my truth is king, right? And sometimes we like, we like to control. Like to control. There's a little bit, we might have a little bit of Herod in us. He was so committed to his own control, his own legacy, that he was very, very volatile. Volatile, right? This is probably where you draw the land and the line in the sense. Well, that's definitely not me. He was very volatile. He was married ten times. He executed a whole bunch of, of his wives and had a whole bunch of sons, and he executed them too. When when they when they seemed to threaten, seemed to threaten, you know what? Threaten like his his, his rule of control, and he 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 rewrote his will four times. Fourth, rewrote wrote as well, and and you know he'll put he'll put another one of his sons in place, and and then they'll begin to and he, and when he ever felt threatened by his sons, then he had them executed, and he put another son in place until you know they make him a bit angry, until finally his sons were like, hey, it's okay, Dad, we we don't want to be king, we're all good, you know, we don't want to be king, and and this is who King Herod was. When Herod got angry, people died, people. Died. In fact, the, the latter part of his life is very very sad. So by the time we get to the biblical narrative. To the birth of Christ, King Herod, King Herod is about 70 years old, and he has this very painful kidney disease. And this kidney disease is killing him slowly and painfully. In fact, many times uh, when you read some of the historian, the, the historical works, many times people thought that he had died and people would celebrate, right? And one time, because when he rebuilt the temple, he put the he put an eagle over one of the temple gates, which made the people of, uh, of Jerusalem angry because you, can't, you don't put these images over the temple gate. When they heard that he was dead, these two sages came and they pulled down the eagle, right? But he was still alive. And even five days before he died, while he was sick, he still oversaw their execution, right? Because, you know, no one touches with, with what I control because he was all about legacy. He was all about control. It was, um, all he wanted was someone to sit on the throne that was related to him for, forever, Forever. He wanted to be like King David, to have a throne to last for. He was all about control. He was all about, uh, about his own legacy, building his own kingdom. This is King Herod, King Herod the Great, King Herod the Builder. This is who he is. And so here we have, he's very sick, and then he hears disturbing news. If you've been following us on our series yesterday, we're in Matthew chapter 1 today, we're in Matthew chapter 2. And he hears disturbing news. And if you've got your Bible, turn with you to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to have it on the screen, verse 1. And it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Where is 
this promised king. This promised king. We saw his star when it rose and it came, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Which is a very interesting statement because King Herod, you know, whenever King Herod got angry, you know, people died. But now he got these magis before him, and they're kind of like insulting. In fact, they insult him by asking this question, where is the one who is being born king of the Jews? Where is the one? You're certainly not him. Yeah. Who are these magis that were boldly enough to come before King Herod and challenge him? And not only that, but all of the city were disturbed as well. Who are these magis? And, 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 so we, and so what we can assume about it, we've got some assumptions around who these magi were. The Bible isn't very clear who they are. They're just there, the magi. And they're from the east. And what's east of Judea is the Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire were, were the rivals to the Roman Empire. The Romans conquered everyone else but the Parthian. So we've got a picture here. It is there. And so where Judea was, it was kind of like a buffer zone, this buffer state. This is King Herod was in charge of that area. And, the, and they're kind of separated, kind of, you know, and this was a bit of the buffer zone between the two empires. And, 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 that, and, and the Romans would win some battles. The Parthians would win some battle. So from Judea, they more than likely came from the Parthian Empire. We, 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 we don't know for sure, but... but, um, but but who else? These guys. And, and the Magi, the Magis and the Parthian Empires, it was their role to, to, appoint, to appoint the new king, whoever the new king was. They were kingmakers. They were very powerful, these, these Magis. And Magis mean wise men, right? The Magi. And their job was they were kingmakers. And they were, so they were very strong. And so more than likely, these guys, when they arrived, and not necessarily three men, th- three of them, they had, there was three gifts is where we get this tradition of the three kings, they come you know, from the songs that we have. But these guys were powerful men, and they more than likely came with an armed escort. And so they more likely look like this, arriving in this caravan, and they're, they're coming into Jerusalem. You can imagine if, if, if you're living in a buffer zone between the Roman Empire and the Parthian Empire, and these Parthians turn up, you know, so these Magi turn up. And you can imagine why the city were, were, were disturbed. They're thinking, oh my goodness, is there, this, is there going to be another Roman Parthian war going to break out here? You know, everyone's afraid. They're kind of scared. What's going on here? And these guys had no, no fear to go to King Herod and say, hey, you're not the king. We're looking for the king, the promised king. Where is he? You can imagine King Herod would have been furious, but he didn't want to start another border incursion. And so he complied with them. And then we go back to Scripture, verse 4. When he had called together all the people, the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law. So he gathered all the rabbis into town. And rabbis didn't like coming into Jerusalem because King Herod had killed so many rabbis that very few of them ever ventured into Jerusalem for the fear of King Herod. So he calls them in. And he's asking, where, where's this Messiah to be born? Where is this promised king? This promised king, the, this promised seed, this promised king, where is he to be born? Verse 6, but you, uh, <clears throat> and in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had, was, uh, has written. Verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no, no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the promised king from the line of David, the promised seed from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, who will crush the head, but, he will, but the serpent will strike his heel. 
And of course, if you're King Herod, this is like the worst news imaginably. Like, no way, not, not on my kingdom, because this is my kingdom. Certainly, no, no, there's, no, there's no other king that's going to come uh, and against my rule. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them ex- the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And this star, there's lots of discussion about the star. Well, you know, there's lots of discussion. And I, I really believe that the star were angels. Right? When, the, when you read the biblical um, uh, narrative, angels are quite often talked about as stars. The stars, uh, these beings, and because they appear and they move. And I like that even in the kids' story we just saw, where you, we had the, the, one of the angels coming as a star. It's a, it's a, it's a big picture. You know, but... Anyway, that's what, that's what I think anyway. You can take it or just throw it away. It doesn't matter. And what's really interesting is that they didn't say where the infant is born. They said where the child is. Because Jesus is not an infant. This, is, this isn't Jesus being born. He, he, was, a, he was a child now. He was, he, was an, he was no longer an infant. He's still a kind of a baby, a toddler. This is what we're kind of the age of Jesus. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. It doesn't say when coming to the stable because they're not in the stable anymore. They're in the house because Jesus is now a bit older. You know, maybe a toddler, maybe one, maybe two. Still a baby. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down. And I love this. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph sitting there with, with baby Jesus? You know, he's about, I don't know, six, I don't, however old he is. Baby Jesus, not an infant, baby Jesus. Then all of a sudden, they see this caravan of these high officials coming towards them. These Parthians, these, these Magi coming towards them. And they think, oh my goodness, what's going on? Is there an invasion going on? And they come down and they bow their knee and they worship their child. Can you imagine? Imagine what will be going through your head. Oh my goodness, what's going on here? And they worship him. This isn't just singing. They didn't just come and start singing Christmas carols to Jesus. They didn't sing Christmas carols. Oh, tell it on the mouth. Anyway, my wife said. They didn't just come along and sing Christmas carols. But they came and they worship. Worship is when you're in the midst of, of, a, of, the, of a present of someone who brings you this, to a place of awe. Where you have to do something mentally and physically where you just have to bow the knee and surrender. That's what worship is. Worship is a surrendering. They're coming and they're surrendering who they are. These, these powerful magi bend the knee and they surrender before this baby king, Jesus. I just love these powerful men who traveled a long way and now in the presence of a baby. But because of who they believe this baby is, they dropped to their knees and they worshipped. Amen? Come on. Then they opened their treasures and presented with, with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we all know what myrrh is. <laughs> and this is where we get this idea of the three kings. There's three gifts. There must have been three kings. And that's from the song. And myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they return to the country by another route. So about eight kilometers away is King Herod, and he's waiting in his palace. He's, he's anxious. He's like, where are these guys? Where, where are these wise guys? <laughs> you know, where are they? And, he, and, he's, and he's, you imagine his, his hands clenched in pain. And he's just thinking to himself, there's, there's no way that I'm going to be outsmarted by a baby king somewhere. There's no way that I'm going to. And if they're not going to tell me where he is, if they're not going to tell me his location, then I'm going to opt for the nuclear option. And then King Herod orders what we can't imagine someone ordering his soldiers to do. And the the passage carries on. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So on one horrible day, his soldiers rolled into town. They went to every single home, grabbed any child that, that looked to be at the age of, of the description, and they murdered every child in front of their parents and every family member who got on the way. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine Mary and Joseph knowing what they knew about what happened to their village? They would have known the families. They would have known the children, knowing that, that these children died just because their child was born. To living with that fact that people died because of their son. Not long after King Herod died of this terrible, painful death. Oh, I'll tell you what's. I'm going to throw this in. This is... Just before he died, he gives this order. He, he, orders, he orders for all the um, influential men, all the wealthy, all the influ- influential men of Jerusalem to be rounded up and put in prison. So he's, he's on his deathbed. He orders them all to be rounded up, put on his deathbed. And he said, the hour I die, I want you to put them all to death. Because you know what King Herod knew? King Herod knew that when he died, no one was going to mourn him. So what he wants is that when I die, people will be mourning in Jerusalem. This is King Herod. When you read the history, uh, he, uh, when you read the history of King Herod, and when he died, they released them. They didn't go, go on the door. They just released them. They let them all go. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. You know, he was known as Herod the Great, right? The, The king builder. This is who he was. But Herod the Great became a footnote. In the story of Jesus the toddler. Can you, imagine, can you imagine explaining that to him just before he died? And just saying, hey, hey, Herod, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The, the good news is this. In about 2,000 years from now, there will be people telling your story. There will be people talking about you. Right around the world in languages not yet spoken. 
and countries not yet discovered. People are going to gather and they're going to read stories and read about you. But the bad news is that you're simply a B character in the story. You're just a footnote. And you won't be known as Herod the Great. You won't be known as the king builder. You'll be known as the butcher king. Because Jesus became the promised king, the savior of the world. Now, 80 years later, 80 years later from this moment, here it is long gone and dead. Jesus grows up to be a man, performs miracles, died on a cross, rose again, and ascended to be with the Father. 80 years later, there's John, one of Jesus' original disciples. He's an old man. The last disciple alive, and he's been exiled on, on the island of Patmos. All the other disciples have been martyred, killed. But there's John. He's an old man riding there thinking about but everything that has happened. John, who, who saw the miracles. John, who watched Jesus die. John, who peered into the empty tomb. John, who saw a resurrected Savior. And he's an old man now, and he's sitting down, and he begins to summarize everything. He begins to write the book of John, the gospel of John. And here's what he said. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, in him, this baby in Bethlehem who grew to be a man, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Amen? Not just for the Jews, but for all mankind. We thought it was just for the Jews, but then he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then he pauses and he moves from a past tense to a present tense to send us a message, to send you a message. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Right now, he, as he's penning this, can you imagine John? He's an old man. Can you imagine the atrocities that he would have seen and seen his friends being killed, being the last apostle? He's writing this and he's, he's exiled on an island of Patmos. And it seems like the Romans have won from his point of view. He's exiled on this island, seeing everyone he knows has been killed, and he's there writing this, this note, the last one alive of the original disciples. He's lost all his friends. The temple's been destroyed. Temple's destroyed, never to be rebuilt again. Gone. Wiped off the face of the earth by the Romans. Yet he looks back when it seems like when it seems like the world is on fire around him, when he looks back through the tragedy amongst all the darkness, he still says that the light continues to shine. Then he punctuated it with this remark. And he says, and the darkness has not overcome it. No matter how dark it gets around you, 
Darkness cannot overcome it. What would your story be in the, re- in, in the relationship with the light of the world? What would your story be? What do you want to be known for? When it comes to your time, when, you, when you're lying there, do you want to be known for, look at my everything that I built. Look at my kingdom. You know, I've never met anyone who said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time in the office. I wish I spent more time working. I wish I spent more time making more money. Never heard anybody say that. So I wish I spent more time with my family. With the things that truly matter. I really, I wish I spent more time before my Savior. What would your story be in relationship with the light of the world? Will you take your cue from the wise men, from the magi? who surrendered. He saw someone greater than them and anything they achieved and they bowed their knees and worshiped. Would you take your cue from the Magi? Will it be a story of worship? Will you take your cue from Herod? Trying to build a kingdom instead of accepting an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. Because it's all about me controlling the situation. I can control it. I can maintain it, no matter what's going on. And this is why sometimes I, I kind of feel that sometimes there's a bit of Herod in all of us. Sometimes we, we go down a path and, and, and we go down a path of destruction and we find ourselves in a place of sin. And we're like, it's okay, I can control it. I won't get out of hand. I'll control it. I'll control it. And we can never control it. And it gets out of hand. And we find ourselves in trouble. Will your story be a story of my way or God's way? My will or God's will? Would your story be that even though you just kind of, kind of just drifted through, even though you had lost hope, even though life had seemed to stomp out all the light that's inside of you, but the light continues to shine? What story do you want told? But here's the good news. The darkness has not overcome the light that's inside of you. No matter how dark it feels around you, it cannot overcome what's inside of you. And I don't know what Christmas is like for you. I know for a lot of families, I I remember just in the room over there, we had all these young guys around, young fathers, and they're there and they're sharing about what's going on in their life. And this one particular father shared that for him, Christmas is a dark place for him. Because around Christmas time, it reminds him two years ago, he almost killed his family. And he began to thank the brothers. He said, thank you for being here for me. Because we're better together. And no matter how hard life can seem to get, no matter how it seems like darkness is trying to get, you can never snuff out the light of God that's inside of you. The dark, darkness is maybe approaching, but the light will always shine. Will always, I love Michael Jones, one of the greatest All Blacks to ever play if you're a rugby fan. You know, Michael Jones, one of the greatest number sevens, scored the very first try in the very first Rugby World Cup. Very first try in the very second World Cup. As, as you know, I really know a lot about Michael Jones. But he says this, he, he says this, that I don't want to be known as a famous rugby player. I don't want to be known as the, as the guy who scored the first try. 
in their first rugby World Cup. I don't want to be, and there's a statue of him at, at Eden Park of him scoring the try. He says, I don't want any of that. All I want to be known is a man who surrendered his life to Jesus. That's all I want to be known as. Not my accomplishment, it's what he has done for me. Not what I have done, but what Jesus has done. I want to be known by my family as a man who loved God. Because the light shines. No matter how tough things get, the light shines. And so there's John writing this, painting this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All of the darkness still has not overcome the light. Has not overcome the light that's inside of you. That's why when you find yourself having a conversation with God, we, I need to reconnect. Having a conversation with God that, maybe that why am I having this conversation? I'm not sure if I even believe in you. It's because the darkness cannot overcome it. And the voice continues to speak inside of you. The darkness cannot blow it out because Jesus is the light of the world. Come on, let us pray.